All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, you know this intro. Um, you're getting a sample of the paid episode that you can get over at wethefifth.substack.com. Let me give you a little taste here. Um, and we fade it out right when it's getting good. So if you think that uh, this episode's boring or something, I assure you that it gets better. But don't hold me to that. Um, and in this one, we it's a bit grim at the beginning because we talk a, a lot about a number of people who died in the past week. Um, very de depressing stuff, but worthy of discussion. So go over and subscribe um, so I don't have to get a proper job that I probably couldn't get if I tried anyway. And uh, support this podcast because there's hundreds of hours of other stuff to listen to over there too if you subscribe so all right well here you go we, we, we know of new methods uh, of attack so how the hell yeah. are you guys how's your weekend been the trojan Good horse um, no it's the been awful column, god column, um, column. everyone's sorry, dying man. it's just terrible i didn't yeah, realize that a lot of, he, he lot had the same around. cancer as christopher hitchens yeah, esophageal cancer. Yeah. Is that like? Yeah, that's Martin Amos. Martin Amos retired. Now, is about, is, yeah. that like a, no. is that like a? Is that just living bad, like a British author cancer, or like? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you can never really tell with these things. I mean, he got on to the the vape, um, uh, you know, last couple of years, four or five years. But I will say this: I uh, had dinner at his house um, probably at the end of the summer. And they have this really lovely outdoor deck upstairs. And he, he said, do you want to go up on the deck? Um, and, uh, you know, because I, I had the vape too. And we go up on the deck and he's like, well, let's just get a real one. Out. <laughs> it's a real cigarette. And I was like, oh, I see what's happening. So he didn't really quit. Um, you know, Chris, Christopher is, was his best friend. Um, and uh, Christopher never stopped uh, when, when he knew um, – that he had stage four cancer. He said, you know, what's the point? I'll just enjoy myself. And he kept smoking. Um, he stopped for a little bit and then he, he, he went back to it. And, uh, you know, as he always say, I have stage four cancer. There is no stage five. So <laughs> do might as well do what you want to do. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I had known this was coming with, uh, my name is, but, um, you know, so he died a uh, day before that, uh, Andy Rourke, That's right. Christmas bass player who I, had some fun uh, times with, um, and I'm going to post something about that uh, uh, when I'm finished with this other thing that I'm doing. Um, he passed away. And something else I just found out about, and somebody you probably won't have heard of, but you should go back and read his stuff. Uh, there were two columns in the back of The Spectator. There, there are two columns in the back of The Spectator. One from Taki. <laughs> <laughs> always good called high life uh which is about him it's always about him like being on yachts and and being in stud and all this stuff <laughs> and then him complaining about jews and then there was a column called low life uh by a hilarious uh alcoholic uh writer named jeremy clark uh and jeremy clark died yesterday i didn't i was just told of this and i i was um from somebody who worked with him and uh it's a that's a very sad so it's three people um all of whom I admired to varying degrees um, and for different things. So that's a sad, sad weekend. How sure. would you, um, you've talked about Martin Amos in the past and you obviously knew him. Like if you were doing retrospective to the virginal eared listener, uh, yeah. sort of where to begin or why to uh, consider him an important Writer, what did he do? What did he accomplish that is that is so critical for us? Uh, I mean, what he accomplished for I mean himself. I mean, his first novel, The Rachel Papers, is a great 
uh, novel was made to, into a film, which I never saw, which, by the way, starred Ioni Sky. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, the woman who was married, uh, first married to the guy from- My, uh, my uh, best man at my wedding dated her for a hot second in high school. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Oh, and Ad Rock was married to her for a hot second. Too. Look at that. She belongs to the streets. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Ad Rock's okay. down with the Ioni. Uh, <laughs> that's the cute <laughs> She was the pre Winona Winona. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But yeah, that was his first novel. And um, he wrote it when he was 21. Mm. And if it's you go and rude. look at read, it's an incredible book too. <laughs> the character is, I think, called. It's very. He, he, my name is. It was very um, much like PG Woodhouse. The names of the characters are always perfect. There were always people called Keith, and Christopher called uh, Martin Keith. Um, but there was a guy named Charles Charles Highway. I think is the guy in, in Rachel Papers. It's a fantastic book, but he's twenty one years old. Charles Highway. Yeah, it's a very very my name's name. <laughs> but the thing about it is, he wrote. Um, I, I guess it was was it Edward Said that who I really don't like that wrote a book about late style, about you know the the writing you you do in the kind of last phase of your life, and um, he wrote a book in two, it came out in two thousand fourteen, and before I found out that he died, I saw a story on the Drudge Report about the Cannes Film Festival, and the rapturous uh, applause that was agreed at a movie called The Zone of Interest, which is based on Martin's second to last book, um, which is one of the most spectacular books I've, uh, his second Holocaust novel, actually. Um, and it is a phenomenal uh, love story that takes place inside of a concentration camp, but it's amongst the guards. I mean, amongst the, the, the people who work there hmm. and not the people who are, who are um, the camp's uh, inhabitants, detainees. Uh, it's a really phenomenal book, but like, I mean, I think one of the best books ever written and, and novels ever written. I mean, he's, he, I think he's possibly one of the best novelists of the latter half of the 20th century. I don't think there's, I, I wouldn't, I would go to the mat on that one with anyone because there's, I don't think there's anyone who can, can, you know, put together a sentence like um, Martin. I remember the first time I read Money, which is one of my favorite books of absolute absolute masterpiece i mean a real true masterpiece and if you haven't read it go read it and you will be sending me thanks for for the next two years because it's so good and i remember there was a, was a i think it was in that book where it's he talks about uh, there's a there's a masturbation scene and i, I and i remember the <laughs> phrase that that uh, of somebody jackknifed over a flying fist. <laughs> I've, heard you, I've heard you use that phrase. Yeah, yeah I love that so much. Uh, yeah. yeah. And there's, I mean, there's all these things that nobody will ever remember. So somebody good lines that there's like, yeah. watching a porno because it's like a very filthy book. It's watching a porno in a theater in Times Square. And uh, it's a, <laughs> there's a lot of men and jackknifed over a flying fist. Flying fist. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember, I don't remember the exact phrase, but he said at the end of his point, he said that, that the woman looked like she was on the wrong end of a custard pie gag, which I thought was one of the most <laughs> That's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. But he's, he's one of the funnier writers. But, but when you have that kind of style and you can write like that, I mean, there's nobody. I mean, he's a virtuoso. I mean, he's like a, a, you know, a Michael Jordan type. I mean, he, nobody mm. can write like him. It's so, so good. But he can also, um, he could also craft a story like i mean that's you know that's the second tool of being a novelist right i mean so a lot of people are very good stylistically but, but but can't can't tell a good story and um i think that what happened was and this is speculation um not something i would have asked him if i even had the chance i suppose i did have the chance i think that when christopher hitchens died 
that he kind of gave up in a lot of ways. I mean, the, the last book he wrote was a book about a, a novel-ish, a novelized version of um, his life in a way, but it's it, um, called The Only Story, which is about Hitchens. And mm. it is essentially the same as his memoir in a lot of ways, called Experience, but with a couple of fictional characters thrown in. But it, it just, you felt that kind of somebody that was so despondent in, in writing it. And uh, the first time I met him, uh, I walked in and it was at Christopher's house and he was getting a back massage from Mark Amos. <laughs> he did say the thing that he'd said a number of times publicly too, that how close they were, you know, they talked about it all the time. And um, he said it was the unconsummated gay marriage. But yeah, I mean, if you want to, I, I would recommend, you know, um, uh, Zone of Interest is fantastic. House of Meetings is fantastic. Hmm. And I would uh, really recommend Money. Um, and Money in London Fields are considered probably two of his best novels. And I think that's probably right. Um, but th th later in life, he's a man who's obsessed with history. A man who's obsessed. I mean, I'm, somebody who read more books on Stalinism and more books on Nazism um, than anyone, you know? And it's like, hmm. he, he would quote, I can't remember the quote. It's like, I was thinking about, you know, how one kind of has to be obsessed with the Holocaust in a way. And, um, you know, wrote a book about it that's backwards that sounded to me like a cheap literary trick. And I would I recommend it's called Time's Arrow. And it's about a doctor at Auschwitz. Um, but what happens when you play that story backwards? It's somebody who, who's um, healing. Hmm. And somebody who goes into Auschwitz and there's these people who are healed and brought back to life because hmm. the whole story goes backwards. And it sounds really stupid. And it's not. It's absolutely brilliant. And you can actually read it both, both directions. It's a, the whole novel is that way. Hmm. It's an incredible, incredible uh, <clears throat> piece of uh, art and like trickery too. But um, yeah, I'm very sad about that because um, you want, you're always greedy and you want one more. You want one more novel from somebody like that because, because good God, could he write? And his journalism too was, was phenomenal. I mean, hmm. he was the one, he was the one that started that piece with, with our friend, subscriber, um, um, listener, John Stagliano. Um, there's there is a piece that begins one of his famous pieces i think it was for talk magazine tina brown's magazine um that begins with a quote from 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 john and the quote is pussies are bullshit oh yeah it's a quote from john. that and it starts that's the first thing and then john explains why what he means in martin's thing is so funny as he's a very funny writer so i would i would check that out too you could just google that phrase <laughs> it'll probably come up with a lot but um but yeah anyway so that's very can sad. you uh uh like briefly talk about his importance in the sort of recognizing communism for the evil that it was uh thing sure which no, is, i mean it caused a huge rift this yeah, is between, this was a brave yeah. moment in modern literary sensibilities and it wasn't just like uh you know i've been thinking about it and it, yeah. that was that wasn't yeah. what that book was yeah no no i mean when you grow up and your father is kingsley amos um who's a phenomenal novelist too who wrote the book lucky jim one of the great british novels of the kind of mid-50s period and then a really fantastic book that is completely overlooked that um uh i was told about by uh, christopher uh, called um girl 20 um, which is a book about the sexual revolution written in, I probably, I think 1970 or something, which is very, very funny about a, a music professor, I believe, who dates a 20 year old girl. And the, the, it's very, very funny. But so the Kingsley, his father, they used to have these lunches 
And there was a bunch of people that would go to these lunches. And, you know, primarily the two most important ones uh, were Kingsley and Robert Conquest, um, who were very close friends. And they, you know, they did their dirty limericks. They're kind of famous for that. But they were guys that, you know, cared about this, the the great issue of the day, which was the Cold War. And so he grew up in that kind of um, kind of milieu. And his his uh, stepmom was uh, Sarah Jane Howard, the novelist. Um, so it's not surprising that he kind of was interested in those things. But there, he wrote a book called Coba the Dread, uh, Coba being Stalin's nickname, uh, one of his many nicknames. And um, th- it starts with a thing about Hitchens and about how Hitchens made a joke about um, the kind of depredations and the horrors of, of uh, Stalinism in the Soviet Union. And Martin took exception to it and said, why? Because why? The, the subtitle is Laughter in the, in the 20 Million. And because the crowd is laughing and stuff. And he's like, hang on, this is, something's off about this. And he, so he writes this literary book. It's a literary book, but it's a history book. Um, and people kind of reacted weird to it. But it go, it's one of those things, I think, that if you go back to it now, um, I liked it at the beginning, go back to it now. It's, it, is, it is kind of one of these forgotten about uh, masterpieces in a way, because it's very smart. It has all the relevant stuff that you need to know about the terror of, of communism. And of course, he wrote a book called House of Meetings, which is a, a, a book set in the gulag. And, um, you know, it, it's also funny and, and you know, it's a back and forth with him and his best friend. And it's just a very unique book. And um, he wrote unique books like that. There was nothing simple about about his writing. Um, and I think it's it's worth going back to look at Cobra the Dread. It's fantastic. Really fantastic. It's, uh, Often forgotten. It's uh, interesting to my brain, at least, uh, just while you're talking about this, to think that if you were a writer of a certain age, that age, let's say, you could be younger to some degree. But if you're operating, um, you had to deal with those questions. You're probably going to wrestle with the Holocaust in some way and wrestle with communism in some way, the Cold War in some way, because those defined how, what was happening in the world. They were too big. There was no ignoring it. Um, And you could be sort of pushed in this direction or that direction, but like it was around. And uh, I don't know if that there has been any kind of uh, organizational concept since that so defines people and partly it's because people chose sides showily Mm -hmm. and demonstrably during the cold war it was a real like you knew you knew who you were and this is something that always frustrated me is that um because people in the the same kind of political tribesmanship that we see now would sort themselves in the cold war equally and equally thoughtlessly and Mm -hmm. i always assumed um naively uh when i was living in the area of the cold war that by the time i came home eight years later after seeing this and after just every single day is suffused with a history of like rebuilding after this atrocity um that like america would have its own kind of truth and reconciliation moment or just that individuals would say you know what i was you know my heart was in the Mm. right place but i was 10 percent to 15 percent wrong and like it, yeah, it didn't yeah. happen. There's a, a it didn't happen wherever no, it happened. I just wanted to like stand up and applaud and high five and whatever. And it's just so rare. Like people don't want to saying revisit. You're, yeah, no, saying that you're wrong um, when you're really wrong and you really get it wrong is an mm-hmm. important thing. But that didn't really happen then. I mean, you said it's really funny. You said the exact phrase that um, writers uh, had to choose sides. 
There was a pamphlet that came out in 1936 that was organized by a woman named Nancy Cunard, who was a, a very, very upper class heir to the Cunard uh, uh, shipping uh, fortune, who became a, a, a leftist activist. And they sent out questionnaires to 200 people and said, "What? Where? Where are you on the um, on the Spanish Civil War? Are you? Do you support Franco? Do you support um, nobody? Do you support uh, the Republican uh, Socialist government?" I think it was 158 or something like that were, were supportive of, of the socialists. Um, five people, I think, was the final t- tally um, that supported uh, Franco. One of them was Evelyn Waugh, by the course. Way, which is really funny. <laughs> he was like, no, 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 no there's Catholics, they're better Catholic. Um, but yeah, that was about writers taking sides. And the one thing that, because I'm, I'm writing about Orwell's, it'll be up soon, I think. And I'll throw a link up when it is. But um, the funny thing about Orwell is, is to revisit that thing. Because when you said, like, the Cold War is this all-enveloping uh, thing for writers, I mean, the last two books that he writes are Animal Farm in 1984. They're both books about the Soviet Union. He tries to say that um, 1984 isn't, that it's because it's set in England. But that idea there was that it can happen here in England, too. Mm. That this stuff is always possible. But there were, effectively, there were books about the Soviet Union. I mean, pretty, pretty straightforwardly. But he couldn't get them published. I mean, the number of people that refused Animal Farm specifically because it was about the Soviet Union. Um, and he wrote um, in, in an unpublished um, introduction to Animal Farm. It was never published. It was published, I think, in the 70s, finally. He said that the intellectual class in this country is completely... Uh, under the spell of the Soviet Union. Mm. And that's like, and it's almost exclusively. And so the most amazing thing about this, I, I mean, this is just the wildest, uh, like I, I have to, like, I thought I had a quote from this here. But the, the wildest thing um, about this, I, it's completely crazy, is that the Ministry of Information in the United Kingdom goes to a couple of publishers and says, do not buy this book. Do not publish this book. In 1944, it's during wartime. And they say, oh, okay, uh, we won't. And this gets back to, to Orwell, uh, who never forgives uh, the publishers for this and gets very upset about it and, and angry about it. 1991, the archives open up in the Soviet Union. And we find out that that man in the Ministry of, the, of, Ministry of Information who went around saying, you cannot have this published, was a guy named Peter Smollett. And Peter Smollett was not Peter Smollett. He was a communist agent from the Comintern who was actually Austrian mm. and was dropped into the United Kingdom to spy and headed up the Soviet division inside the Ministry of Holy crap. That's and fun. He, yeah. And he, and he was the one who prevented that. He actually, by the way, he sat next to Guy Burgess, the spy. Um, they were obviously friends too. And... Um, prevented that book from being published. And it was very, wow. I mean, if it, if it was finally published and, in, and when it was published, you know, it was a bit of a sensation. It was the first time he ever was successful in his career. I mean, it was finally got a bit of money. Mm. Um, and he complained, and I wrote about this, he complained about the taxes, which is- <laughs> Of course. <laughs> he, he's like a dem- but he's like always to his death, I'm a democratic socialist. And he was like, if I rip off inland revenue, I will rip them off. Because they're fucking taking all my money, which is hilarious. But yeah, so that book um, was, was, it was hard to publish. And then- 1984 also um, difficult. I mean, homage to Catalonia also was was notoriously censored or impossible to publish. Well, yeah, Victor. Well, Victor Glantz, who is his publisher and had the options on his books, he was a communist and ran the um, 
the uh, w- what was it the uh, the left book club or the new left book club um, said no, and everyone else did too. I think in its first pressing, it, he sold a couple hundred copies, and it's a, it's a phenomenal book. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's one a of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it tells you everything that you need to know about. This is when he becomes the person that he becomes is because of how he was betrayed and fighting the left-wing cause. He was betrayed by the Soviets and betrayed by all these other factions in Spain and nobody wanted to hear it. They legitimately said, we don't need that right now. We don't need to know this stuff right now. We have to be four square behind um, the Republican, uh, which would be the, the left-wing socialist communist cause. And this is not helping. So no. I, it's and, and it, it it changed him from there on out, absolutely changed him. And you know yeah. it's it's interesting to it's but this guy by the way DJ Taylor has got a new book uh, coming out on Tuesday. It's a new biography and it's absolutely phenomenal. Oh really? Really really great. Yeah, it's very good, very hmm. very good. I loved it. I loved it. So anyway, um, I death and death and communism. I, I recommend uh, always to read his um uh basically wartime uh diaries essays and journalisms there's a couple of uh, volumes yeah. i don't know if it's all collected in the same place somewhere by now uh but it's usually mm-hmm. like you know england as i like it or whatever it was called from like 1940 to 44 or 41 to 45 oh it's uh, england my england and as i like it was the name of his column that he wrote for the God, so i mashed that up yeah, pretty well yeah. it's not bad but it's but it's not a bad memory on those things because england my england is fantastic um you know politics in the english language um, is amazing. And, you know, it's funny because I pulled up that one quote that people sometimes pull up but have forgotten about now is that, you know, the, and this is during the war when there was actual fascists uh, ruling Italy and, and um, uh, Germany and, well, and Spain too in saying, he says that, you know, this is a word that is, is completely useless and now only means something that I don't like. And he said that hmm. in 1944. Always has. Uh, that, and it's like amazing, <laughs> like, you know, the prescience of this. But one of the things I wanted to get into in that is that everybody says this thing about Oral being a prophet. I mean, you can't, like, the New, uh, New Yorker, like a year ago, had this thing, the prophet Orwell, et cetera. And the incredible thing about it is that they're always referencing 1984. And, you know, they're talking about the science fiction elements of it, I guess. You know, the big screens with Big Brother on it, mm-hmm. you know, the um, memory hole. And these are all the words that he gave us. I mean, that book gave. The political lexicon, so many words. It's the chicken right? of mm. political books. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Big Brother, uh, Double Think, uh, Memory Hole. Uh, there's a, I mean, there's a bunch of bunch of them there. But, um, but yeah. So I mean, the, the, everyone says this is prophecy, this is prophecy, and I, I, no, I disagree. And I, I don't. I know if, when I write about this or say something, somebody's going to find a hole in it because I haven't thought it through. But the thing about it is that it is an actual depiction of Stalin's Russia. I mean, it's, that, that, was, that was actually something that was happening at the time. It's not a prophecy. It's a reflection of what was happening in the Soviet Union. And there was a, a, a version of it came up in Samostat, and I think in Poland. And it was read, and I, I think it was Milos who said, you know, he talked to people and they said, how can this guy know all this when he's never traveled to, traveled to a communist country? Yeah. That's not a prophecy. That's somebody who understands what it's I have about. met. So how um, do we... Go ahead, Matt. Uh, just on that, I, I have met probably two hands worth of, maybe three hands worth, worth of people whose lives or understandings of the world 
were changed, who grew up under communism, but mm -hmm. listened usually through Radio Free Europe to um, Orwell read to them, um, usually in their own language, because that's what Radio Free Europe did. It was a uh, it was uh, based out of Germany, Munich, and they would they would have uh, emigres who'd left. You know, Hungary in 1956, Czechoslovakia in 1968, Poland in 81 or 56, four, whatever. Poland can't keep track of them. Uh, but they would go there and they would they would pipe in stuff and they would do Orwell's 84 or Animal Farm. And and it was exactly what Michael just said. Like they couldn't believe the accuracy of it. They couldn't believe that they were hearing it from something that they knew was forbidden, that they shouldn't be listening to. It was, it was verboten um, to do this. And that, just imagine that, like, like you've just got the key that unlocks your miserable existence. And it was written by a democratic socialist from, you know, 30 or 40 years prior to that. Um, but like absolutely world changing. Um, I can imagine if those rules that people try to push on authors these days, that you can only write about things that you've experienced. Mm -hmm. You can't write in character. Well, I mean, imagine no Orwell for, for, if, we, if we did that. Well, I mean, there's plenty of things we'd be deprived of if we did that. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, yeah. but I, I w wanted to ask, what do we attribute then the fact that the Orwell gave us this kind of lexicon for talking about and thinking about our our politics mm -hmm. and these different things that are happening in the culture? Are people kind of misappropriating those yeah. those concepts and themes and using them in contexts where they don't belong? Is that primarily what's happening, or are we actually seeing certain of course, aspects yeah. of the, the sort of totalitarian systems like manifesting themselves in culture which is no, what I, I think why not both yeah. regularly that's a good why not both yeah. well i think i think but i think no in in, in more ways than people want to admit because everyone uses the phrase mm -hmm. um and they overuse it but it's 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 funny because what orwell said about fascism it's a it's a word that has become effectively meaningless. Mm -hmm. Imagine what he would have realized when his own name. Mm -hmm. This is Paul Yeah, um, not in the sense that it's like. Mm -hmm.